child was hoping for another series. A <clears throat> uh, uh, couple of things. Just want to open with prayer, but also uh, just have a sense that um, there are a lot of folks uh, bearing burdens and um, just during worship, you know. And I, I know certain people in certain situations that people are facing, but we just uh, want to hold those up. Um, the Lord wants to come down and lift those burdens, those concerns, those anxieties, the issues in your life that are troubling you. Um, and Can we just turn that to the Lord right now? Father, we come to You with all of our problems and fears and anxieties. Lord, we come to You with our worries, our, our frets. Father, we come to You with situations that seem out of control and certainly are out of our control. And Lord, we need Your help. We need You to intervene. And Lord, so we lift all these things and uh, we just hold them up before You. And I just I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ a lifting off of burdens. Lord, Your Word says that we should cast our cares on You because You care for us. And Lord, we believe that. We believe that You care. And because we believe that, we just roll our burdens onto You. And we say, Lord, we're too small to deal with this. And You're big enough to handle it. And we trust You with it in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive grace. Uh, Lord, we receive Your redemption in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Alright. Well, <clears throat> I want to begin with a story. And this is... Um, Hopefully, we'll, you'll understand how it ties in. But when my girls, who are now all grown up, <laughs> when they were little, they often would uh, they would make believe, you know, play games uh, as as children do, and that's normal and good. And um, uh, Tori and Emily would would uh, uh, have their little make believe world. But inside of the make believe world, whatever game they happen to or whatever thing they happen to be. Uh, uh, playing uh, concerning, they often would also make up great games. Uh, so it's like made-up games uh, being played out in a make-believe world. And occasionally it would come to the place where they'd begin to argue about some of the rules of this make-believe game in a make-believe world. And then Kathy and I would maybe hear them arguing or hear Emily crying or... <laughs> Tori was the one there. <laughs> uh, one of them arguing, one of them crying, or something going on. We wouldn't know, and so we go out try to see what what the what the problem was, and maybe uh, offer a correction or comfort. But um, as they begin to explain the situation, you could just hear like they would be explaining the make-believe world, and then trying to explain the make-believe game, and then the rules that apply to this make-believe game. And by golly, it wasn't long before you just go, I don't know what you're getting, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, there was, there was no way to make sense of it whatsoever. I mean, you can't correct one of them for being wrong when everything's just made up. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people read the Bible. Uh, we look at it and we don't know 
the rules. Or we don't know the context. We don't know. It's so far removed from our day-to-day life trying to understand it. It's like trying to figure out who's right or wrong in, in a make-believe world uh, playing a make-believe, an imaginary game. But the Bible is not about a make-believe world. Okay? Uh, it's not um, in any sense. It's a collection of writings about real people struggling with real issues in the context of a very, very real world. And we're beginning a series looking through the book of Galatians uh, in the New Testament. And uh, it was a book written by Paul to the church in Galatia, uh, or the churches rather, in Galatia, which was a region in what we would now call uh, Turkey. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a, a whole area. And this letter was addressed to all of the churches in that region. And most of the New Testament uh, uh, letters were distributed not just to one church, but would be distributed uh, to the churches in a particular re- uh, region and, and read out loud to all of the churches so that they would all hear. Uh, and so Paul's writing to very, very real people that are struggling with uh, very real issues. Uh, This letter was written about uh, 49 A.D., uh, which is, you know, just, uh, what what would that be, 16 years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, the series that we're going to do over the course of a number of weeks is called expository preaching as opposed to topical. Most of what we do at New Day is topical preaching. In other words, well, have a topic, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, maybe serving like we uh, looked at the last couple of weeks and go into and jump around different, different verses that deal with that topic and kind of un- understand what the Bible has to say about a particular topic or issue or concern. But expository preaching is that you just follow the text and you allow the text, what is written, to lead the discussion or lead the sermon. And so we're just going to follow through Galatians and kind of explain it as, as we go along. And it, or through the course of the book, it touches on, or the course of the letter, it touches on a lot of different topics in the context of the overall uh, theme or purpose of the letter. And so by understanding uh, the book in that sense, you can, one, understand how to understand the whole Bible, how to interpret and learn from the Bible, but you also get... Uh, a, a touch on the biblical view of a lot of different issues. So that's what we're going to be doing, looking at the book of Galatians. Um, Galatia was in Europe, as I said, and most of the people in these churches were converted from uh, pagan religions. They were non-Jews. They were Gentiles. But along with them were some Jews. Uh, Paul's uh, uh, typical method, I think he did in just about every city that he went to, was he would find the synagogue or where the Jews in that city would meet, and he would first uh, teach to the Jews uh, because he's bringing the message of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the old covenant promise, and he, ex- he would explain how Jesus fulfilled that. And just about every city, the Jews would listen to him for a while and then kick him out and often try to kill him. And then he'd take the message to the Gentiles because they were often hungry to hear. And so in this area particularly, most of the Christians uh, were of Gentile background, not Jewish background. And um, all right, so Galatians uh, um, 
One more little thing before I begin uh, reading the text. When I was in eighth grade, I went to a, a Lutheran uh, parochial school, Christian school, and uh, so every day we, we would have Bible lessons. And a Lutheran pastor, pastor who taught uh, our Bible class in eighth grade taught me a great lesson. He says, when you read a book for information, <clears throat> he would always read the first chapter, and then he'd read the last chapter, and then he'd start over and see how the two connect. All right? And I've actually used that, uh, that, that basis uh, to this day. Uh, even an article, I'll read the beginning and I'll read the end and I'll see how, it, how he makes the argument uh, uh, from the beginning to the end. It's a great way to, to get information out of a particular text. And we're going to do that <clears throat> with Galatians by beginning at the end. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to the end of Galatians. I'm going to read a verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, which is right near the end. Okay. It says, uh, for in Christ Jesus, this is the, this is the, uh, this is the conclusion of Paul's letter. This is what it all leads up to. This is his final statement, the concluding point. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Now, doesn't that just grip you? <laughs> How many think that that is extremely obscure? Okay, I think it's obscure. Would you, would you go up to a co-worker and say that? <laughs> Do you have any idea what he's talking about? <laughs> this is the point of the letter. All right? But it seems obscure. And he finishes up with, he says, And as many as walk according to this rule. What rule? The rule that circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing but a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel, <clears throat> when he closes the letter. All right, well, let's just keep that in mind during the course of the study, uh, because that's where Paul's aiming for. So by the end of this study, I hope you understand what that phrase means. And more importantly, not only what it meant to the Galatians and what Paul intended it to mean, but how it can apply uh, to us in our lives today. Because that's the real point of studying Scripture is to learn what it meant when Paul or the writer, the original writer wrote it, what it meant to the people it was addressed to, and then how to apply it in our day 20 centuries later. All right? Or even longer if you're reading a passage from the Old Testament. So let's go back to the beginning and start from the beginning and kind of work through chapter 1 uh, over the course of today's message. It starts out, Paul, an apostle... Uh, not from men, I'm using the New King James, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him up from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father, to Him be glory forever and ever. Actually, just 
noticed this morning as I was reading through the notes, you know, one of the emphasis of our church is the Father heart message of God and how important it is to know God as Father. And in, in this short little introduction, Paul references the Father three different times. The emphasis on, on the Father aspect, that God is our loving Father. Um, so even in the introduction, it kind of sets the stage. <clears throat> but like any good writing, uh, Paul includes in this introduction um, a, uh, his theme or the main point. He kind of sums up uh, what he's going to say. I don't know if you remember from writing class. Is that you open up with, uh, you tell them what you're going to say, then you say it, and then you, or a speech class, and then you, then you repeat what you just said. And so Paul introduces a theme in this introduction, especially in verse 3 and 4. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, uh, of our God and Father. I believe that this that verse, verse 3 and 4, in Paul's opening introduction is the theme of Galatians. It's the main, the essence of what Paul is going to uh, be talking about and is communicating. And it's the essence of what Paul preached everywhere he went. First off, that there's grace and peace. It's a message of grace, unmerited favor, uh, enabling power from God that we don't deserve, and peace. Uh, 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 you know, uh, that, that, that there's a message of peace to all mankind. It's the substance. Grace and peace is the substance of what Paul is talking about. And it's the substance of what God is doing. He says that it's from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the source of that grace and peace? The grace and peace comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. They are the source of the substance, the source of grace and peace. It goes on and says, "...who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father." That's the essence of the Gospel. Alright? It's, it's, it's what the rest of Galatian applies in the context of the issues that the people in Galatia were struggling with. It applies, it's the application of the message of Jesus Christ dying for our sins according to God's plan. It's what the, really the whole New Testament is all about. That through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins, we would be delivered and set free from this present evil age and everything that accompanies it. Everything within this age that is distorted by evil, by sin, by the deception of the enemy. And that all of this, that this plan of freedom through salvation in Jesus Christ is according to God's will, the Father's will. It's God's plan. It's not our plan. It's always been His plan. And God is faithful to fulfill His promise of salvation. So right from the beginning... Paul comes out with a, with a home run, if you will, of clearly communicating what the message, where the, what he's offering, grace and peace, where it's coming from, and how it's obtained. It's coming from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's obtained through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's according 
to God's eternal plan that He's had from the beginning. You know, and so if, if we're struggling individually, if you want, how many want grace? Yeah, I want grace every day. How many want peace? I want peace. You know, stuff in our life causes us turmoil. Where does it come from? Paul answers that. How many want freedom? Freedom from this evil age, the evil influences of our day. Okay? It's, it's, the evil influences are different in each individual's life. Maybe they differ by uh, community or circumstances, but it's the same evil one. It's the same evil system that we're facing today that the Galatians face in their day. And Paul declares that there's freedom from that, that we might be delivered, set free from this present evil age according to God's will. So these are the things we want. And these are the things that we strive for. Paul's answer is stick to God's plan. Stay in tune with God's plan. Don't vary from it. And that's the message of Galatians. Galatians is ultimately about grace and peace. How grace and peace comes through Christ according to God's plan. That's the big picture that's played out in the context of a controversy that was uh, hit, that hit the Galatians church, the early church, and an issue that was troubling them. Let's go on to the next part, uh, verses six through nine. I'll read it first in the New King James, and then I'll read the same passage in the Message. It says, "I marvel," Paul goes on, "I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another." But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. And as we have said before, now, uh, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let me read it from the message. It kind of breaks it down into a real easy to understand language. Paul goes, I can't believe your fickleness. (laughs) How easily you have turned traitor to Him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other. An alien message. A no message. A lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even if an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Wow. Paul seems to change tone pretty quickly here, doesn't he? He starts out grace and peace, and then he turns into this confrontational you know, preacher confronting them. Why are you so fickle? What are you doing? You've, you've turned traitor. And he, he does that intentionally because... Uh, the truth is, is that confrontation was needed 
in order for the Galatians to be able to, to receive the grace and peace that He is writing to, to deliver them. Uh, they needed to be confronted because they had embraced a deception, a lie. They had been twisted. And um, <clears throat> so, like any good story, uh, the book of Galatians starts out with a number of characters. And through the book, the characters are developed. Paul is the first in that he's representing the Father God and the Lord Jesus offering grace and peace. But now we're introduced to these other people, some who trouble you or agitators, as they're called in some uh, translations. And the agitators, these troubling people, have introduced a corrupted gospel. They've taken what Paul taught in a church that Paul started. Paul went through during his first missionary journey to this part of of, uh, Europe and planted churches in these cities. And uh, then they came in and twisted his teaching to the point where it wasn't the gospel that Paul had taught. And so there's these troublers. And then you have the Galatians, who were not in any way innocent bystanders, but active characters in, in the story. And it's not an imaginary story. It's, it's a real story of real people. That Paul knew these people. Paul knew these churches. And it was a very, very important issue because what was at stake was their very salvation and, and the destiny of their own lives, but also of the church. <clears throat> and what we have here in Galatians, as with most of the Bible, is theological truths being worked out or explained in the context of real people struggling with very real issues. All right? So, most of the Bible is not line upon line of just instruction. Okay? You know, that would seem to be easier. <laughs> Why doesn't, doesn't the Bible just tell me what to do? Uh, what it is, is it's real people having real problems that Paul is speaking into. And from understanding that, we can learn truths that, that apply to our life. Okay? So that's just a lesson, and that's how the Bible's set up. That's how God works. That's how God is. God isn't a distant God that just sends a list of rules. He's an incarnational God. In other words, He works in the midst of our lives. And so the Bible itself um, represents God in this way, in that theological truths are intertwined in the struggles and the real day-to-day issues that people dealt with. So as we read Paul addressing the Galatians' difficulties and theological issues from thousands of years ago, we can learn truths to understand how we are to think of Scripture, how we are to think of God's plan, and apply it in our life. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so this conflict between uh, what Paul was preaching and what these agitators uh, taught and, the, and the, the, the differences is really the conflict that's played out in the rest of the Galatians. And as a subject, this, this issue uh, re, re, resurfaces in a lot of the New Testament writings because this was a big uh, issue within the early church. <clears throat> and uh, in fact, it still is. Because at the core of it, it's understanding who Jesus is and, who, and what Jesus came to accomplish and also what, what He will do, okay? Uh, the future outcome of His kingdom. It has to do with the role of Jesus, the person and the role of Jesus Christ as Messiah. 
And we're going to unpack that controversy. We're not going to get much into it this morning. But over the course of the series, we'll, we'll unpack it. Galatians is often thought, about, thought of as an abbreviated version of Romans. Uh, Romans is much, much longer, but deals with the very same issues kind of in a more in-depth way. So Galatians is kind of like an abbreviated Reader's Digest version. <laughs> of, of, of Romans. It's both are really good, um, uh, concise <clears throat> uh, uh, exp- explanation, exp- exposition of New Testament theology. And so, let's see here. That conflict is um, the conflict between what Paul preached and what these other people uh, uh, taught and perverted the original gospel, uh, but was accepted by the Galatians. And Paul's trying to call them back call them back to the original gospel, call them back to what he communicated initially. And just, just kind of on a side note, it's, it, many people long for, or they think they long for, the first century church. Oh, if we could just get back to those, those early days when, 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 when all that... This was 49 A.D., okay? This was not even two decades. Okay, <clears throat> this 16 years ago, all right? What was what's what year? What year would that be? If 16 years ago from today, 1995. You know, for some of you that seems like a long time. Okay, for a lot of us that's like oh, that was like yesterday. All right, 1990. You know, that was just a few years ago. <clears throat> and and what do we have? We have division. We have heresy. We have false teachers. You know, by this time there were lots of controversies. There were people in it just for the money. Paul talks about that in different places in the New Testament, how some people preach just for uh, money. There were small churches. There were mega churches. A church in Jerusalem had tens of thousands, uh, as well as some of the other churches in the city. Uh, really, everything that we see in today's church was going on in the first century church. You know, but people cling to this idea of, oh, if we could just get back to the first century. What they're really talking about, if we could just get back to Acts chapter 2, that first couple of days. <laughs> you know, and ultimately that is. That is the presentation of the ideal, what God intended. But as we read through the New Testament, we see that the first church, as every church, is filled with all of these things. You know why? Because that's the way it is. That's how church works out. That's the unfolding of the kingdom. It's not something, it's not a monastery that we go and are safe from all attacks. It's that we're integrated into the world and we face real controversy and difficulties and we work them out through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, through the process that God calls us to. We're going to actually get through the rest of this chapter, believe it or not. <clears throat> uh, verse 11 through 24 is Paul presenting his credentials. So he, pres- he, he introduces what he wants to say. He introduces the conflict. And then he says, this is why I have authority to come and speak to you. He explains <clears throat> uh, uh, the basis of his authority. But what we can learn from this, I'm just going to jump through this and pull out a couple of verses, a couple of phrases from a number of verses is that not only can we learn why Paul had authority to the church in Galatia, but we can learn Paul's uh, opinion or Paul's instruction of the biblical um, list of what gives someone authority. What is the basis of biblical authority? Does this make sense? 
So we can then apply it to other people in our day. What gives someone authority to um, communicate uh, the gospel or to, to have an authoritative view and preach in, in, in God's church or bring correction? The first thing is in verse 11. It says, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which preached me was not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's really two things. One is his authority and his message did not come from man. In other words, it wasn't something that he just thought through, that he learned from a book, all right? Not that learning from books is bad. It's extremely important. But there was more to it than that, that there was a personal revelation from the person Jesus Christ. He appeals to, hey, what I communicated to you was the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not something I made up. It's not just a a doctrine. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a theology from a a textbook somewhere. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, what he's referring to is, is two things. It's his initial conversion revelation when Jesus, uh, when Paul was knocked off the horse, when Jesus appeared to him, Jesus Christ literally appeared to him. But it's also the revelation that Paul had in his initial years when he, when he, uh, when he, as uh, when he began as a, a strict Pharisee, encountered Jesus Christ and had to rethink all of his understanding of Scripture. And for Paul, Scripture was all of the Old Testament. And so he took time and he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ uh, through which that enabled him to receive understanding from and through his relationship with Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this is personal. This is what I received from Jesus Christ. That there was a, a, there's a, there's a relationship and a revelation from Jesus Christ, and that gave him authority. In verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, it goes on and talks a little more about that, but he had a call on his life. Okay? And he's kind of referencing uh, an Old Testament idea, especially that uh, certain of the prophets were called from, their, from the womb. All right? And appealing to, listen, this is my calling. I am called to be a minister. And Paul particularly was called to be the one who carried the gospel to the Gentiles. All right? Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. And he's, he's referring to, this is my calling. This is my position. And God accomplished that through a divine act that he was called into this. Verse 18, he says, After three years I went to Jerusalem um, to see Peter and James, the Lord's brother. Two things here. <clears throat> One is that he took three years of independent study. And uh, you know he wasn't a novice. He didn't uh, rush right off. He did start preaching quite quickly and, and communicating the Gospel, but he really withdrew and he took a number of years to, to learn and to study and to make sure he had it right and, to, and to, to make it go deeper, to make sure that it was something that really transformed him uh, and sunk into his, his understanding as well as his character. And then he went and personally met the leaders of the church, Peter and James. Now later he mentions he had a disagreement with Peter. But nevertheless, he acknowledges that he went and was introduced 
to Peter and James. Peter and James were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem at that time was the head of Christianity. So he came and he had relationship and he submitted himself to those who were in recognized leadership. Okay? And verse 23 it says, He who formerly persecuted us, this is the, it says, but they, <clears throat> a lot of the people didn't want to see Paul because he had a reputation of killing Christians. Um, he was a Pharisee that would hunt down Christians and, and arrest them and have them executed if possible. But then he had this tr- his tremendous um, uh, uh, transformation. And in verse 23, he references it, saying, But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. So that was what was being said about Paul. And what we learned from that <clears throat> was that he had a personal testimony of a changed life, a radically changed life. Okay, so what does it take to have authority? How can you evaluate if someone has authority? And what do you need if you want to step into a greater level of authority? One is you need to connect with God and have revelation from Jesus Christ. First of all, it needs to be revelation about Jesus Christ. Not revelation about this or that or some other thing. People have revelations all the time and I dismiss them. I won't even listen to them because they have to do with this political issue or that natural disaster. I want to hear about Jesus Christ. Is the subject, the focus, and the purpose and the intent of Jesus Christ or is it some other agenda? But one, divine revelation, personal revelation. Two, personal calling. Okay? Not based on man but based on what God's done and that there's a call on their life. You've been called. You're in the place where God has called you to. You're not outside of the bounds of of what God's called you. Years of preparation. What gives someone authority? It's worked out in their life. They've studied it. Uh, Testimony of a changed life. Is there a difference in this person's life? Is there a difference in your life? You want more authority? Make a greater uh, evidence of change in your personal life. Make it so other people look at you and go, wow, what's happened to you? Okay, And I'm not just talking about when, before you were saved. How about, how about what happened to you? Last year you were just this way, and now you're, man, you're on fire. What happened? I had divine revelation because I spent time. Uh-huh. And, <clears throat> and then also get in agreement with those who are in recognized leadership. Come under recognized authority of the church and flow with them. Uh, even if there are disagreements, there's a right way to do that and to uh, uh, fulfill what God has called you to. Those are the things that establish but also increase a person's authority to address issues or controversies. And in the following weeks, we'll delve in to what those controversies were. Thank you. Thank you, Cameron.